Do you need a landscaping job tackled? Keen Landscaping is a family-owned and operated full-service landscaping company based in Dallas, Texas. Anything from property restoration and tree pruning or removal to landscape design, construction, and installation, Keen covers it all. They're also the official landscape company of the Dallas Stars. Learn more at KeenLandscaping.com. Again, that's K-E-A-N-E Landscaping.com. Parker's MMA show, episode 61. Uh, obviously, a huge McGregor fight this weekend, so we had to bring in uh, the good friend of the pod, uh, Parker's MMA show, Irish MMA correspondent, Sean Sheehan. Uh, Sean is a, a writer, podcaster, uh, analyst over at Severe MMA. Um, he's an expert on all things Irish MMA, uh, as well as just MMA in general. And he is currently leading the migration of all Manchester United fans to their noted native homeland of South Dakota. So really, really excited to talk to Sean about uh, everything going on with Conor McGregor, everything going on in the UFC, get a little bit of Manchester United talk, and then uh, then we'll get out of here for this week. So uh, without further ado, here's our interview with Sean Sheehan. All right. So Sean, welcome back to the show. Um, my first question off the bat, I just want to do get a feel for how is the camp, you know, leading up to Connor's return after he's been out so long, just what, did, what did you hear about kind of info around the camp and then the build up there in Ireland? Yeah, well, I, I heard, about, and thank you very much for that intro as well. I really appreciate it. I, uh, not a great night after Man United last night, but maybe we'll talk about that later. And uh, <laughs> not much of a writer either, so like, <laughs> not my mind as well. But McGregor's camp, like everything I heard about it was that it was a very good camp. Um, he, prepared very well obviously he's been out for the last year but he has been in training and maybe not in like fight training for the full year but i believe he's been in the gym or his own gym obviously with ireland we have a lot of lockdowns and stuff like that so maybe he's not able to get to spg and stuff like that but he's looked you know fit and trim for most of the year i think he was training for that event he was due to do in france i think at the end it got cancelled but um yeah, I think he's been staying fit, and then he got into the camp, and he looked really fit in it. It went well. He trained the way he usually trains, which is bringing one or two of his teammates into kind of a close-knit camp with him. Like, before he used to train in SVG in the main gym, maybe he was in the gym, or the you know the pros in the gym, obviously. But now, uh, this is pure speculation, but I, I assume it's the, the gym has kind of gotten a little bit too big in terms of there's lots of people around, and maybe it's people looking for selfies and people looking for his time. And now he kind of has his, his section of SVG. And he used to have a gym like two doors down from SVG, kind of a warehouse, where he could kind of keep to himself and bring his training partners and bring John Kavanagh and Owen Roddy and the other guys in there as well. Uh, this time, he I think he did a bit of that and maybe did some of it at home uh, in his kind of own home gym and then went to Portugal for, I think he said, nine weeks or something like that. That might, that might be a little bit off, but he went to, for a good few weeks uh, to Portugal anyway. I didn't hear about any injuries or anything like that. I heard the camp was, was really, really good and he prepared to his utmost. Uh, so I think the preparations in terms of time, injury-free and all of that went about as well as uh, as you possibly could. Now, I'm sure we'll get into it, but 
preparations in terms of maybe tactics mightn't have been <laughs> mightn't have been the best. And I suppose that's another argument. But the preparations, from what I heard uh, and from what everyone is saying, seems to have been very good. Yeah, and Billy and I were both you know talking back and forth. We we were very impressed with the way he showed up on the scale. I mean, he looked to be in phenomenal shape, and that's. You know, it's the most active you've seen him for a camp in recent years, so that was good to see. Um, all right, so let's let's switch gears a little bit here, and I want to talk to you about kind of this new, reborn, respectful Conor McGregor. You don't see a lot of the mental warfare, at least leading up to this one. Um, how do you think that over affects his overall game, and are we just seeing kind of a more mature, maybe a less hungry version of Conor McGregor? Um, you know, in years to come, is this something we need to get used to? Uh, I well, I think it is probably something we need to get used to in terms of him, like not talking as much trash and him being quieter and stuff. How it affects his game, I don't know. I, I I've never been a big one for buying into that. I like the trash talk, and I think it's good to sell the fight. And you know, maybe the odd time, like Dustin party in the first fight, you can get into people's heads a little bit, and you know, force them to fight maybe a different fight than than what they normally would. But I don't think it makes much of a difference, especially for someone like McGregor. I think he's always been a good uh, person of being kind of in tr- in control of his emotions from outside of the fight into in, into the fight. So I don't I don't think that played a part at all. I don't think uh, you know. Sometimes we look at it and we we see and, and and look, everything plays a part. You know, your emotions coming into the fight playing a part. If you're in a yacht or a one bedroom apartment coming into the, the you know the fight, it makes a difference, uh, whether good or bad. Uh, so all these things can play into different things, but I think there's more, you know, obvious things like what happened in the fight that we can kind of see that we can kind of reason for, uh, McGregor's performance and maybe look ahead to see what goes on in the future. So for me, I, I don't think the trash talk makes any difference, but you know, we know McGregor over the last few years, especially, you know, I went, I went back there a couple of weeks ago or a couple of days ago before last week, before the, um, the press conference, and I was looking at, you know, an embedded or something, and this video popped up, the Habib versus McGregor press conference, a submission radio video, like a, a 10, 12-minute clip or whatever it was, and I watched some of it, and it was really, really hard to watch. It was, he just went too far. He The stuff he was saying was disgusting a lot of time, and I think he'd look back at that now and be, you know, be, be disgusted even. Um, and I think, look, McGregor's had his troubles inside and outside of the cage, and I think last year, especially against... Cerrone was a PR, PR exercise to get backing people's good graces, and I think um, it, it's kind of he's kind of carried that on. If you went in there, you know, uh, when he said he give five hundred grand to Dustin Poirier's uh, charity and then support him, I think right. it looked ber- very bad. Now, if he fights Dos Anjos in his next fight, or if he fights, you know, Gaethje or even his next fight, yeah. uh, or whoever it might be, it might be a different story. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, that was a necessity really for the last couple of fights. Okay, let's get into a little bit of the strategy. Obviously, um, I was watching that live, and Billy and I talked about it in the lead-up. That was kind of my one of my big things for Dustin. It was like, hey, you know, take out that lead leg and attack the calves. And, you know, we've seen how devastating that attack can be, and that seems to be, you know, the strategy Dustin went with. Uh, for Connor, he, you know, in the interviews afterwards, he was kind of kind of put off the vibe that, you know, that wasn't something he was expecting. Obviously, you prepare for everything, but um, he, he really seemed to have no answer about that. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about the calf kicks, 
um, in that fight and then just in MMA, MMA in general. And, you know, we've seen waves of this new attack coming in and, you know, the Sugar Sean O'Malley fight. Michael Chandler had, you know, got his fight against Brent Primus in it ended to that so just talk about kind of the overall effect of calf kicks as a strategy in mma as well yeah look i think i was actually talking to someone the other day and they were say reminding me that uh benson henderson threw these calf kicks against frankie edgar and that's how long that's probably a decade ago you know i don't know maybe six seven years ago i i think the fight that really kind of changed the game from this was uh drakkar close versus mark chikasey he destroyed mark chikasey's legs with calf kicks and that sometimes it happens you know sometimes things like that happen in mma and it changes the whole entire game and that did that one fight now was everyone paying attention to that fight uh you know did everyone see it did everyone start doing it no absolutely not but that was that fight i don't know you maybe could look it up it was probably three years ago and everyone knows about it now you know it's a huge tactic for lots of people and you have to change your game you mentioned a couple of fights there there's been more than that as well that these calf kicks have have changed uh and that's the thing about MMA. You know, if you're standing still, you're going backwards in MMA. You have to pick up these new techniques. You have to be aware of what's happening. And for me, in the last five years, that's the biggest change in MMA. Like, MMA has reached a stage where, okay, there's everyone knows wrestling, everyone knows jiu-jitsu, everyone knows boxing, kickboxing, whatever. And some people are better than others. But we kind of, we kind of know what's there. We see what's there sometimes and, and like okay if someone brought taekwondo into mma 10 years ago or 15 years ago might have been a big thing you know these different kicks no one has seen them before not really a, as thing as much now but this is this is kind of a new thing that has come into mma over the last few years and it's really kind of taken over the game i think and really changed the game for conor mcgregor not to not have seen that i think was very odd for his trainers to not have seen that was very odd but i think I think the calf kick has been a little bit overplayed. I think the calf kick was there because of the way McGregor fought. McGregor came out in a very, you know, he used to call people stuck in the mud. He looked stuck in the mud himself. He was standing there right in the pocket opposite, opposite Dustin Poirier. And what could Poirier do? Only kick that leg, only kick the calf. But now, you know, a lot of people talked about this coming in. I had Dan Hardy on the podcast and I spoke to him about it. And I spoke to him myself uh, about it myself on other podcasts as well. Because McGregor in his past fights, the leg has been there to kick, but not as much as in this fight. Like if you think about McGregor in this fight, he stood very still. No foot, footwork. Okay, he had kind of boxing footwork where he was circling and following Poirier around the cage. But it wasn't that in and out karate style that we, you know, not so much karate style, but we that we kind of called karate style that he used to have before. And if you think about that alone, where someone is in the pocket, out of the pocket, in the pocket, out of the pocket, as opposed to someone in the pocket. Like the person that's in the pocket all the time is going to be able to get kick, kick, kick. If you're outside the pocket, you're not going to be able to, no, you know, it's as simple as that for someone as, you know, as, as stupid as me thinking about it. So, like, let's say McGregor, I don't know how many leg kicks he took. Let's say he took 12 in the fight against Poirier. Would he have taken six? Would he have taken five? Would he have taken less than that if he had that in and out movement, if he was more elusive? Would that have changed the whole fight? No, it wouldn't have, I don't think. <laughs> but I, I think the, the, it would have changed the fight from a boxing point of view and from a striking point of view if he was doing that as well. So I think it would have changed the fight a lot. But I, I think... Uh, if you looked at the fights coming into it, right, and you saw Poirier fighting McGregor first time, fighting Michael Johnson, fighting against Southpaws, he led a lot with his backhand, very rarely jabbed. I think he went out and I think he looked at the Nate Diaz fight where McGregor kind of fought like this, where he was in the pocket because he'd more weight in him, on him and wasn't able to move as much, I don't think. Uh, and he saw 
Nate Diaz has um, uh, good moments with that jab, and he threw the jab, and he came inside, and he threw the left hand behind it and threw combinations. And I was expecting that, and I was expecting the calf kick, and I think most people are. I spoke to Dan Hardy about it, and he said the exact same thing to me. I spoke to Luke Thomas about it. He said the same thing. Everyone was expecting it. And I think I thought the way to alleviate the, uh, that, and I thought the way McGregor would win, would be that old school in and out movement. But it feels like McGregor now, I did a podcast about it this morning on Patreon. I feel like he has fundamentally changed as a fighter to this more stuck in the mud, in the pocket boxing style. And that's not going to work in MMA, I'm afraid. And that's exactly what we saw against, uh, against Dustin Poirier. At, at this stage in his career, how much of you, how much of it do you think is preparation? Because obviously he's had the inactivity; he's not, you know, been in fights frequently like he was on his rise. And then, you know, when he goes to training, you know, his training partners are fighting Conor McGregor. If you hurt Conor McGregor in training camp, I mean, that's a pretty big fuck up, you know. So, how how much of it is that that maybe he's not getting pushed as much as he used to on his rise? And that's why, you know, when he gets hammered with five or six low calf kicks in a, in a row, he's not making those adjustments. It's, does that kind of play into this, you think, a little bit? Yeah, I, I think it does. I think you reach a certain point and you reach a point where you're kind of fighting in camps and not, you know, staying ready so you don't have to get ready like McGregor uh, said before. Like, if you look at some McGregor, McGregor now is very much taking up the uh, the kind of the, the way the boxers used to fight years ago and whether you saw, you know, Muhammad Ali or, or, you know, Mike Tyson or whatever going up to Big Bear and doing those camps, they brought in really good sparring partners. Like, you know, uh, even the likes of uh, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury now, you know, you see him bringing in, you know, maybe a Derek Chisora who might be in rank number eight in the world to spar before the fight or, you know, you know, maybe an Olympic boxer or something like that to come in and help him spar. Like, I think McGregor brought in a couple of boxers and he brought in a couple from his own camp. Um, but he's not bringing in, like, you know, Rory McDonald from a different, uh, you know, a different um, promotion or, you know, my, I know, obviously Michael Chandler's there now, but a couple of months ago, Michael Chandler, you know, someone like that who would be perfect, who I'm sure would happily take 20 grand to come and be fed and, and stuff for three weeks in, in Portugal or Ireland or wherever it might be to, to spar with Conor McGregor. Lots of people, you'd get a ton of world-class people to do that. Maybe it costs you 50 grand, but McGregor has the money. Um, and, and that's that's definitely plays a partner. But to me, the biggest thing is that strategy, is the tactics of the fight. How you cannot be prepared for leg kicks is beyond me. Like, whether it's McGregor himself or his training camp, how they can send him out there fighting in a boxing stance is beyond me. And a lot of people have said that McGregor brought in his old boxing coach, uh, Phil Sutcliffe. And a lot of people kind of criticizing him. I wouldn't criticize him at all. You know, if, if I, I've, made, I've said this a couple of times now, but if you went to Usain Bolt to train you, what's he going to train you to do? Run fast. You know, <laughs> that's exactly what the, you go to a boxing trainer. He's going to train you how to box. So uh, for me, he's John Kavanaugh, Owen Roddy himself, whoever it might be that's running his strategy, who's deciding the way he fights, should have sat him down and goes, this is not going to work in MMA. This is, you're going to get that calf kicked off you. You're going to get boxed up in the middle because of the calf getting kicked off you, because Poirier is going to make, it's going to be easier for Poirier to get takedowns. And, you know, from the boxing alone, even the boxing standpoint, forget about the like, calf kicks, forget about the takedowns. You're fighting in Dustin Poirier's best realm. I talked about it before, but the, and it's a different Southpaw versus Southpaw, but Poirier, at his best, 
is jabbing and coming inside with his backhand after. That's where he's quickest. That's where he's most dangerous. And you, your whole strategy was to play into that. I, to me, it's senseless. Like what McGregor is great at is being fast, accurate, and powerful with one shot. And that's a, a very you know intelligent way to fight MMA. These days with the judging criteria even as well, uh, you can win rounds fighting that way if you're elusive and if you're not getting hit. And uh, it seems like McGregor, that, that was what McGregor was great at. And it seems like what he was great at could have won that fight and would have been the correct strategy to win the fight. But he came out with a different strategy, which is, I think, to, to people who... Obviously, fans of McGregor, it's baffling, but to people like me who are kind of trying to analyze fights and trying to watch fights and have watched back all of his fights, and I think lots of people as well, like Dan Hardy, I heard him talking about it again. It's baffling, really baffling, to be honest. So it's uh, it's interesting to see what happens next, I suppose. So obviously, we're here to talk you know, heavily about Connor, but for Dustin, it was you know probably one of the biggest wins of his career, for sure, probably the biggest payday of his career. And for a guy that's you know one of me and Billy's favorite fighters, just a fighter's fighter, um, what did you make of his game plan and his performance at this stage in his career? Yeah, I thought I thought it was brilliant. Like I had a lot of friends around here, obviously, who would maybe just watched the uh, McGregor fights and and that'd be that. And they were kind of saying to me like, "What's the point in what?" But and before the fight, what's the point in watching this fight? There's no belt on the line. Or he's beating this guy in 70 seconds before, and I was like, "Dustin Poirier is a really good fighter. Don't forget about it." Like he he he's probably like up there with McGregor as one of the hardest punchers at 145, 155 pounds. It's really hard, really good technical fighter. Has improved so much after Habib. You know, up there with McGregor and Charles Oliveira and a couple more as the best fighter in that division. Like you, you, you know, and Justin Gaethje as well, and maybe one or two more. But um, you absolutely can't fault him. He's a really, really good fighter. And f- like his, the thing about this, right? Poria came out, and uh, it's it's uh, it's a weird one because Poria fought the perfect fight against the McGregor that he sh- that showed up on that night. Now. The McGregor that showed up on that night was a really bad McGregor, I think. The fact that Poirier... Poirier... I, I doubt Poirier thought it was going to be that easy. And in a way, that is actually... You kind of give him more credit for that. Because I, I think he expected a different, better McGregor to come out. And I'm sure there was little bits of adjustments that Poirier was like... this leg is there to kick. Let's kick it more. Let's concentrate on more. And if you think... I went, I went back and watched the fight... The first three minutes, I think Poirier landed maybe one leg kick, maybe, maybe two, but one kind of hard leg kick because there was lots of, you know, time against the fence and time on the ground as well. So, like, there was only what, four minutes in the whole fight where Poirier was actually kicking the leg. Like, he kicked it a lot in that four minutes and he kicked it effectively in that four minutes. So for him to adjust and realize it was there in that short of a time is really brilliant and, you know, something which McGregor couldn't do in the fight. He couldn't adjust to a, a strategy that obviously wasn't working. So for me, it, it's weird that, like, a, a Borsa McGregor actually gave Poirier different looks and gave him a different challenge. Um, and McGregor hit him pretty hard, and he was able to stand up to those uh, shots as well. So, like, for Poirier, he answered a lot of questions, I think. Did he mentally... You know, was he able to mentally stand up to the challenge of McGregor? Yes. Was he physically? Yeah, he got hit hard, and then McGregor won that first round. And, he, you know, he was still winning the fight up until maybe a minute and a half before Poirier took it away in, in the second round from him and landed that lovely check right hook and, and in the finishing shot. So Poirier, Poirier didn't wilt. You know, Poirier took it all. He kept coming, and he had the right strategy. And the right strategy as well, even when he was kind of losing the fight early, 
I think anyone watching that fight kind of knew that, okay, maybe he's losing rounds here, but he's, you know, uh, he lost the battle maybe early, but he's winning the war here. And, you know, you have to give get great credit for that. And that comes as well. You know, we made you made a point earlier on about McGregor and he's maybe sparring partners or coaches or whatever. Dustin Poirier's training with AT, you know, at ATT. He's training with Massville Allen, Colby down through the years. I know Colby's gone now, but, you know, people listen to this probably know more than me about who's training there, but there's a lot of killers in that gym and has been down through the years. And that's how you become a fighter like Dustin Poirier has become today. Right, absolutely. So for Connor, in kind of typical Connor fashion, he's straight away gunning for that rematch. Um, mm-hmm. If you're the UFC matchmakers how do you match up this lightweight division right now and then what is the next move for connor it, it, it's a difficult one to be honest it's a difficult one like i am a big advocate of bringing guys back a little bit easier like i, I tweeted out the other day, someone said who should be next for conor mcgregor and i said diego sanchez like a lot of people now would look at that and go oh that's insane but like the Tyson Fury came back, and as David Hay famously called him, I think he fought, fought a, couple, a couple of garbage men, uh, <laughs> you know, before he fought in the big fight. Like, and um, no disrespect to Diego Sanchez. I love Diego Sanchez more than anyone. I'm not calling him that, but you know what I mean? A kind of a step down against someone. Like, even McGregor and Fight Week called out Al Quinta. You know, Al's ranked in the top 10 or something like that. Why not that? No. The problem is, would that be a big draw? Can you put that as a main event or whatever? And you need McGregor in that, uh, uh, you know, in in that uh, position because you know the huge numbers, one point six million. Those numbers, uh, you know, those numbers are not right. <laughs> um, but anyway, it drew a big number. Whatever you want to say about it, um, so McGregor has to be in that position, and that leads with problems because. You obviously this sport we know it's more sports entertainment than, than purely sports. So we have the financial side as well as the sporting side. If it was just the sporting side, I think he could fight someone like a Sanchez or an Iaquinta or even a Felder. You know, would be a good kind of comeback fight, a very winnable fight. All of those fights, uh, obviously on different kind of levels, uh, coming up. Um, that's what I, I I think you should do. That's what I would love to do. Even two of them like fight. Uh, Iaquinta first didn't fight Felder and didn't maybe the Poirier rematch or the Diaz rematch but it's more than likely going to be a Poirier rematch or a Diaz rematch like the you, uh, the, the question was like what, what next for McGregor if you think about what's next for Poirier if I was Dustin Poirier I would be killing to fight Conor McGregor next absolutely you know you have the trilogy fight you just had this fight you just knocked him out Your your next fight has to be for a title if you beat Conor McGregor to win that title, first of all, you might be getting bad review points for it, so you're getting way more money. You're, you know, fighting McGregor anyway, you earn a lot more money, and you get more clout from beating McGregor than beating, you know, Charles Oliveira, a really good fighter, and you know the the fifty thousand people in America that buy these cards uh, when when Conor McGregor's not fighting will absolutely know who it is and know how good of a win it is. But it's different, like it's the weirdest thing ever because the person who won the fight. Gets a lot more out of the rematch immediately, I think, than the person who lost the fight, which is an odd thing, uh, and usually uh, the opposite. But look for McGregor. I think he a step back would be the way for him, but I think it's going to be one of the trilogies, to be honest. All right, for sure. All right, Billy, go ahead and move into your questions. Sure. So, um, Sean, I I want to ask you a couple Connor questions, and then I want to give you a, a brief respite from the Connor McGregor talk. Um, <laughs> okay. So I will ask you about other topics in MMA, but I think he touched on this a little bit. 
What do you think of Connor's training at SBG Ireland, right? Obviously, he's gotten very far with John Cavanaugh and Owen Roddy and that whole crew of guys. But like you said, you have these super camps in the United States and in other places where, you know, you look at ATT and you have Poirier and Masvidal and Horiguchi and Yoel Romero and you've had Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington come through there. You look at like Hard Knocks with where uh, Michael Chandler is, right, where, or I guess it's Sanford MMA now, you know, where you have Kamaru Usman and you have Gilbert Burns and you have Michael Chandler. Like, does it make sense for Connor to move at least temporarily to one of these mega camps where, you know, maybe he could get pushed a little further or have a little bit more of an intense training environment? Or do you think he can still make the close the gap he needs to close with the elite of the lightweight division staying at SBG Ireland. It's, it's a difficult one. Like to me, I've been saying for years that McGregor needs to bring in either bring in people or go somewhere else train and not necessarily leave SBG. Like you see, I know you probably know James Gallagher, one of the, the best SBG fighters. He's been over in, um, uh, Oh God, where is it? Kansas? I think with James Krause for, yeah, yep. for, for, I don't know, a couple of months maybe, over the last maybe six months. And he's gone back to SBG, no problem with that. I spoke to Ian Gary, who's one of the best up-and-comers. I think he was over in Birmingham training. He wants to go to other places training. You know, Paul Redman. Conor McGregor himself used to go to Iceland to train. Like, I, I think you can have best of both worlds. Now, obviously, in the pandemic, it's a little bit uh, tougher to do that. But McGregor, McGregor for years, and you know, I, I mentioned him again, but Dan Hardy said it's like what he loves is kind of the flow in the training where he can just use his training partner as kind of someone to execute his moves on, you know, and not kind of get into a fight. And that's grand. That, and, you know, maybe not, not necessarily not get into a fight, but to kind of practice his, his uh, you know, his techniques. But that's fine until you get into a fight like Dustin Poirier and you eat a big uh, check right hook in the second round and you have to come through that or you get kicked in the leg over and over and over and you have to come through that. You need to experience that in, in sparring. And like the fact that McGregor said he hasn't experienced that in sparring is the biggest red flag you could ever see for people who have been saying that for years. No, uh, there's ways there's ways to do that. There's ways to change that. He's in a new camp. Like, I, I, my great idea, I don't know how great of an idea it was, it might be possible. Go over to New Zealand. You know, go to, New Zealand's open now. It'd be, imagine moving over there for six months. What a great life it would be. You could go to rugby matches and you could go to restaurants and everything like that. Maybe you'll have to quarantine for two weeks to get into the country or whatever. But go on, go on train with Eugene Behrman over City Kickboxing with Dan Hooker and Israel Adesanya and all of those guys coming up. Imagine that. That like that, To me, that would be perfect. I don't think there's any animosity between McGregor and any of those lads, or maybe you know, maybe a little bit of hooker, but not really. I don't think um, the gyms in America, you know, ATT, AKA, there might be that might be a little bit tougher, uh, and that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is fly people in. You know, Ben Askren once said that he'd come to, and we mentioned this earlier, but Ben Askren once said he'd come over to McGregor and help with the wrestling. Jordan Burroughs has said it as well. Bring guys like that in. You know, as I mentioned earlier on, Rory McDonald. I'm sure, like, Rory was in Ireland before. He absolutely loved it. I'm sure he'd love to come for another month or something like that to, to train with Conor McGregor or maybe an Anthony Pettis now that he's gone to PFL. Or, you know, there's a litany of guys around the place who, who you could bring in to do that. And you need that. McGregor needs to do that. If he wants to keep his, you know, this boxing kind of um, uh, way of preparing for fights up, he's going to need to do that. As as I said with that as well, that might be an issue where he well he can't go why he can't go to other gyms because you know he goes to those gyms 
and it's the people training in the gyms as well. You know, you're going to need a separate way of doing it. So it's look, I think McGregor, it too many times now it's happened where they've blamed kind of the preparations. Before the Habib fight, McGregor said, look, I prepared too defensively and I prepared for nothing but, uh, you know, uh, defending the wrestling. And John Kavanagh said the same thing. And they were all like, well, look. And, and they kind of, one, was it the, the, the Nate Diaz first fight? They kind of fell out over it and then they kind of get back together very, very quickly as well. And now this fight as well, it's just a complete, I, I think this is the most obvious fight we've seen from McGregor yet where it's, his tactics and his game plan was completely wrong. Now that's three fights out of what? Uh, let me look at them here. One, two, three, four, five, five or six. Six that have gone wrong because of preparations according to them. And to, uh, well, the last one may be according to me and according to most people. That is for a world-class fighter, for someone right near his prime, that's too much. And you you have to make changes, whether that's bringing in coaches, bringing in training partners, whether that's moving away. McGregor will never move away, I don't think, to- totally, because he's built this whole thing up about loyalty, 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 loyalty. But what about the time when it gets to the place where loyalty is actually holding you back, where loyalty is hurting you? Like, you can still be loyal... You can still have all that. You can still be with that gym, but I think you have to change things up. I think GSP spoke about it. Uh, I was I was talking to someone about it. I haven't listened to it yet, but I think he was on with Bisping maybe or something. And he said the similar sort of thing where uh, you have to change a lot of things. He lost to, who was it, Matt Hughes back in the day. Uh, and he had to change things up. He had to do different things. He had to get new looks. And uh, to me, uh, you know, I might be wrong. Um, McGregor will, if he hears this, he will um, almost guarantee you he will disagree with me. But that's my opinion. And I think a lot of people will probably agree on it. And Sean, along those same lines, obviously, I mean, we can remember, you know, five, you know, four or five years ago, Conor McGregor was not only the biggest star in MMA, but one of the biggest sports stars in the world was considered to many people, certainly in America, kind of like a face of the Irish sports world what does a loss like this do for mma in ireland right because we talked about in the past how there's not a lot of irish guys in the ufc there's Mm -hmm. not a ton there's not really someone who's like clearly taken up the mantle here from mcgregor so you know with with losses and if this is kind of the downswing of mcgregor's career like does he maintain his popularity does someone else take the mantle do the Irish MMA fans kind of gravitate towards non-Irish fighters. Like, what does that look like for the popularity of the sport in Ireland? It's, uh, well, that's a, a question I could probably take an hour to answer, to be honest. <laughs> when McGregor came up, he created lots of fans, right? When when he was on his way up, he created those people you saw over in Las Vegas, you know, with their Irish flags and their Mayo jerseys and all this different sort of thing, you know, going around the place. Some of those people will be at Cage Legacy shows with 250 other people watching oh no amateurs fight each other, right? Some of those people became MMA fans like you and uh, the two E and me, where we're watching fucking, you know, Joanne Calderwood fight Jessica in like the worst fight of all time. You know, that some people will become that, you know? Uh, but some people go there for the drinking session and they go there because oh, it's going to be great fun and it's a McGregor fight and they'll be like, he's fighting uh, Justin Poirier, you know? that That's who he's fighting. Uh, I would say McGregor has created loads of real fans, new fans who 
sport, the, the sport, you know, are diehard fans. Maybe not, you know, going to all the local shows, and all, but maybe going to the big Bellator shows that have been here and watch every UFC every weekend. He's created a lot of them. He's created way more Fairweather fans that will only watch McGregor fights and things like that, which is, is grand because it's made the sport way bigger than we, I ever thought it would be. Well, like when I, when I started watching... Uh, the UFC and MMA. I I didn't know any Irish MMA fighters. I'm kind. I'm from Limerick, so I'm the other side of the country from Dublin. So I didn't really know that scene. And then there was a few guys. You know, McGregor was fighting himself by that time. You know, probably around the time of his debut, I probably started watching MMA and the UFC and stuff like that. So, uh, but it wasn't a, a big thing. People, I, I watched UFC probably for five years before I heard of an Irish MMA fighter. You know, so that's the way it could have gone back then. Now it's not the same. We know guys making their debuts. You know, we know, like, say, Danny Nealon from McGregor's Gym, she made her debut there uh, last year, the year before. Everyone knew her when she was making her debut. Ian Gary, he was 6-1, and one, I think, as an amateur, or, or te- you know, maybe a few more, uh, fighting out of uh, Team KF. And everyone knew him when he was making his debut. And now he's, what, 4-5-0 or, oh, or something like that. That's the difference now, I think, uh, between when McGregor started. So, has this this is the scene still strong? It's absolutely stronger than when McGregor started before. Uh, hugely so. The big, lots of uh, lots of big interest. Those Bellator shows sell out. Uh, well, are, have been selling out every time anyway since they moved away from the whole Bama model thing. Um, James Gallagher is a pretty big star. The guys coming through in uh, in cage wires like Ian Gary's I just m- mentioned as well are are big stars coming through there as well. So. For McGregor's popularity, for, for the, the sports popularity, I think the sport is in a good place in terms of the popularity. Now, we could get into the regulation and all that, but that's for another day, maybe. But for McGregor himself, it's it's a very interesting one because la- in the last week, I got lots of texts about wh- what time is the McGregor fight on, where can I get it, where can I buy it, more than the Cerrone fight. And I think... Maybe it's because of the pandemic, maybe because people are stuck in and they're not going out on a Saturday night and they're going to watch it. But that's the same in America, so that's you know absolutely allowed in this. So to me, for that, I think McGregor's popularity is not where it once was, but it got a little bit better from the the uh, a cowboy fight. But in terms of McGregor being um, covered in the media and stuff like that, obviously lots of things have happened outside of the cage which haven't helped him. But the media have never liked McGregor. They've always uh, hated him. Um. Uh, well, not not always hated him. They, you know, they kind of once they realized it was kind, there was kind of a class divide, and a, the sport is not the classiest sport in the world. They're used to people, you know, with their yeah, I can't wait for the next one. It's going, you know, and McGregor is not that, you know, and never has been that. And I think they were waiting for an opportunity to kind of you know look down upon him or or you know uh, cover him in such a way that or not cover him in any way. Like I, I remember in, in McGregor's popularity. I remember in one day before I was on three national um, radio stations all in one day, you know, and there isn't that many radio national radio stations in Ireland. <laughs> now I, I know one of them, they have like a 24 hour broadcasts on uh, radio and, and online sports. And I don't think they mentioned McGregor once coming up to this. And I know another one like the, that cover that used to cover McGregor regularly, the biggest national radio station. I think I've been on it maybe a hundred times over the last five or six years, not a peep from him this week. So it's, uh, there's, there's definitely issues for that with McGregor for the fan base. It's still there at times. Um, but like, let's say Las Vegas opens and he fights again in, in, you know, August or something. Will the people fly out? Will they go out and support him? 
maybe maybe but i i i don't think it's the same as what it once was and it probably will take him getting back to winning ways i think to build it back up sure so sean i want to i want to i promised you a brief respite from the mcgregor talk so i do want to ask you about a couple other things going on around mma and, and get your perspective um obviously we've talked a lot about bellator and specifically bellator in ireland right they've made big pushes into really trying to assert themselves as a top promotion in, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Michael Chandler, uh, a longtime face of Bellator, in my opinion, obviously their former champion, comes out and shows he absolutely belongs in the UFC. Was that surprising to you, how quick work he made of Dan Hooker? And what does this do for the perception of both Chandler and Bellator? It surprised me how how yeah, how quick he did it, but I, I wasn't surprised by the win. Like... Uh, I wrote a, I, I wrote like this betting article for a, for a company before uh, the fights last week, and I was like looking through the records of both of them. I was like, Chandler has beaten better guys than than Dan Hooker. You know, he has exp- and and the thing about it is, some people come in and they're at a McGregor fight. I remember uh, Graham who he does a podcast with me. He has worked on the documentaries with McGregor and stuff, and he. He always talks about being backstage before McGregor fights, just a little bit different. And even Wonderboy, my 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 guy Wonderboy, uh, he was saying before one of McGregor's fights, he was fighting and he was trembling in the background. He was like, "Oh Jesus, this is like the biggest opportunity in my life." And you know, some people wilter that, and you know, UFC debuts and stuff they wilt. But Michael Chandler has experienced it. You know, he's experienced main events. In front of fifteen thousand people, the Saitama Super Arena, headline in Bellator, you know. So him coming into the UFC, he didn't have kind of the, the UFC jitters thing. You know, he's been around UFC cards and been around hotel. He knew the crack, and he, you know, he prepared for the Habib fight. You know, as the standby fighter a couple of months ago as well. So he knew what was, uh, you know, coming ahead of him. So I think a lot of people, because of that, and because of the fact he was in Bellator, maybe you know, maybe didn't look at the facts and see who he's actually fought and see who he's actually beaten. Oh, I think Chandler's actually a little bit past his prime, which is the the next part of it. But I think Hooker was a, a good matchup for him, to be honest. I, I Look, I thought he might be able to take Hooker down and, like, win a decision. But I thought Hooker fought a really good fight in terms of not getting taken down. He was really, really on his feet. But uh, those adjustments, again, I spoke about earlier on, Chandler adjusted really well, was able to cut off that cage and land that big shot to the body, and then the big was a left hand afterwards uh, coming back, so he did a great job. So for Chandler, it looks really good. He's beaten a you know, top six or seven ranked guy uh, in the world. For Bellator, it makes it look good. You know, he's not the best lightweight in Bellator, and uh, he was able to come in here and be one of the best lightweights. Now, do I think he'll beat... Uh, Parier or McGregor or, or uh, Gage or someone like that. I don't think so. No, but he's that. You know, he proved that the weekend he is a top, top ten, top five or six, uh, lightweight in the world. So it makes him look good and it makes Bellator look uh, really, really good as well. And you know, it gives uh, how good is Pitbull? You know, <laughs> how good is Pitbull is the question after that. Not to go full chains on and on the ranting, but like, could Pitbull beat? Um, Parry, you know, maybe could he beat Gaethje? Maybe it'd be a great fight. Could he beat McGregor? You know, it's it's one of those ones as well. So, um, you know, I think uh, when Bellator signed a couple of those light heavyweights a while back, they were all saying, you know, this guy is a win over this guy, and you know, we've the best light heavyweight roster and things like that. But uh, I think it means a little bit more when it's at a great division like lightweight. And uh, when uh, you know, I I agree. I I think uh, Chandler coming over has made Bellator look good, and obviously himself as well. Another Bellator guy that obviously you're intensely familiar with, James Gallagher, 
Um, you know, kind of finished a finished 2020 pretty strong. I thought, uh, obviously, you know, getting the Cal Eleanor fight in was, I think a, a big deal. Um, the, what do you, what do you expect from him in 2021? And, you know, where is he at in terms of his stardom or his, uh, the buzz around him as a fighter in kind of the Irish circles? Yeah, I'm expecting a lot from James Gallagher. As I said, you know, he was over tra- training with uh, James Krause, improving his game. But the, it's a weird, it's, if you had asked me that question in normal times, maybe I'd be able to probably give you a better answer because he probably would have had more fights and we'd have more data on him. But this Cal Elmer fight has fallen out, I don't know, three times in the last 18 months, probably two years now since the, this fight was first um, brought up. And, you know, injuries and then pull out another injury and, you know, the, the fight eventually happened. And the fight was a bit of a damn squib. You know, we were expecting to be um, a challenge for for Gallagher. In a little bit anyway. I think everyone was kind of expecting him to win, maybe, apart from people over in Newcastle and in, uh, in the UK. But Callender just kind of came out and was another one who just got destroyed by James Gallagher on the ground. Uh, and so that didn't really tell us a lot about Gallagher again. Now, what do we know about Gallagher? He's r- devastating on the ground. If you get him down, if, you, if he gets anyone down there... You know, he is, uh, we, we joke about, you know, a lot of people joke about Gallagher and see him as a joke, but he's no joke. This guy's a really, really, really dangerous guy, a dangerous fighter. Now, has his, have his hands improved enough for him to be good enough on the feet to kind of stand there against people or knock out people or, you know, decision people? That's something we're going to have to see, you know, and that's the one piece of data after the Ricky Bandejas fight that we haven't really seen much of. So that's something we're going to have to find out, but... And absolutely a top prospect. Seems to be one of the hardest working guys you could meet. Like, one thing about James Gallagher, you know, a lot of people see the talk and, you know, they compare him to Conor McGregor and say he's an act and stuff. But when you're around James Gallagher, and, you know, I only kind of started doing in-person interviews a while a while back. And I've interviewed James now maybe three or four times in person. And um, the one thing you notice about him is he's one of the most respectful people you could ever meet. And he gets it as well. Like, I remember one time... Um, it was at like the end of the media day and uh, they were like telling people to go because they had like so many Bellator fighters. They had 10 in one room and then they got them out and then brought in like another 10 and then brought in another 10. Uh, and it was at the end and I was waiting. And like, obviously, you know, in Ireland, not to not to blow my own heart here, I think, but like there aren't, there, there aren't, there isn't anyone really like bigger than Severe May with a bigger, you know, push out there and stuff. And he kind of saw me coming. He was like, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, I'm waiting. I'm doing this interview. And he like refused the PR and he did it. And you see him around, he's around with his mother and father and they're lovely people. And he has them there all the time. You see some people, you know, but they're friends and they jump into the crowd. And there's 50 of their friends and they're drinking in the club or the, the pub afterwards. He's there sitting with his mother and father and maybe his girlfriend and his cousins and there's 10 of them around the table and they're having a couple of drinks and he's in bed early that night. <laughs> so like that, this is genuine. That's the genuinely James Gunner. I remember we went to a media day and it was just like a media day in a hotel. One hour out, you're gone. His mother, his father were there, both supporting him, having a coffee with him before it, you know, waiting there in the background, you know, going away. And they, they live in, I believe they still live in Tyrone, which is up in the north of Ireland, which is probably, you know, a three or four hour drive down to Dublin just for that like hour and up again that's that's the kind of support that James Gallagher has and that's the kind of you know family kind of uh, guy that he is and that sort of thing I really think helps fighters when they have a solid base like that and when they have the support there to kind of improve and good advice and things like that 
And people missed that with James Gallagher, I think. And uh, that, that can be an important part of it. So I don't know why he got, got off into that tangent. But anyway, yeah, James Gallagher, looking forward to seeing what, uh, what he does in, in the next year. And then the, the other guy who I, I saw a very recent interview that you did, um, a guy who I think is the best prospect in Irish MMA, Ian Gary, um, kind of the same question. What do you expect from Ian? And for someone who's known maybe in, in the United States or globally, you know, mm-hmm. kind of talk talk up Ian Gary or what makes Ian Gary special in your eyes? Yeah, well, he'll, he'll do a lot of that talking up himself anyway because he is, <laughs> he's, uh, you know, a lot, uh, he is maybe one of the most um, talkative guys you could you could see in Irish MMA. He will come out and say, I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember I was I was interviewing him once and uh, it was after an event where he had won. And his coach Chris Fields is there, and he was like telling him for him, like, don't go, don't go too crazy, you know, don't say too much. I've kind of have to hold him back a little bit. But uh, he's he's a great interview and a great talker. But he's a really really good fighter as well. He's big and he's tall and he's athletic. He used to play Gaelic sports coming up here. He used to play hurling coming up. So he has that athletic base. And then he's from Dublin as well. And there's lots of advantages for people doing GAA in Dublin. They've really put in lots of money into it. So like he's used to doing like the strength and conditioning and different things from a very, very young age. So he has that kind of athletic base. And I think he did judo before he did MMA and stuff. So he's been around a long time and training under Chris Fields. So, you know, he's Cage Warriors champion. He's fought uh, in, in the Ultimate Fighter. Almost got into the UFC. He's fought in KSW and other places as well. So he's really good. And Tom King, who would would have been Conor McGregor's jiu-jitsu coach for years and years and years, an Irish black belt. So a really good camp there with in the camp as well. James Webb, the former Cage Warriors middleweight champion. So he's some good training partners there uh, as well. He's a bit, like he's a welterweight, but he's probably going to be going to middleweight. I think he's only 21 or 22 now, but a big guy for that weight, long. Hits really hard. His ground game is improving all the time. He's submitted a couple of guys now as well. And like he goes in there and he makes experienced guys look bad. He makes them look like amateurs. He fought um Fig I always mix them up. There's two Figlack brothers, but he fought the, the bigger Figlack brother anyway. And he went in and he kind of destroyed him. And I remember I was talking to a guy from the Figlacks from the UK scene. I was talking to a guy from the UK scene. He was like, he was like, that win is a lot better than maybe people realize. And then Figlack came out in his next fight. And he destroyed a good guy, and he destroyed someone else after that as well. And his brother's a really good fighter as well. And Ian Gary just made it look easy against him. You know, for his last fight, he fought another guy as well, and he was a little bit uh, disappointed because he didn't get the the level he wanted. But now he's calling for a title shot, uh, and he's right there, thereabouts. I think I think he's five and zero now as as a fighter. But if you know, if you've never heard of Ian Gary, you don't watch much cage warriors. Tune in for his next fight. Tune in for any of his fights. Ex- exciting, athletic. Big knockouts, big submissions. You know he will talk shit. <laughs> He's, uh, you know, he is as you know as legit as they come. And you know when when you talk shit as well, he's like, um, do you ever see that? And he he'll admit this himself, so I'm, he won't give out to me about it. But you ever like see those annoying like twelve year olds who never stop talking? And they're just like, nah, hello, hello, what are you, what are you doing? Where'd you go now? Where, where are you going? What, are you doing? what time are you going to work? What time are you You know, he's one of those people. He just never stops. He's just yap, 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 yap all the time. And uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> that takes a lot of energy. And uh, I think that benefits him maybe in the cage as well, because he's a lot of energy going in there as well. But uh, yeah, if you're a fan of MMA, you have to keep an eye on, uh, on Ian Gary and what he's doing in his career. And then you know, kind of tying all this together, Sean, you know, if we're sitting here, um, you know, a year from now, we have you on the pod again in, in January, 2022, 
Who do you think we're going to look back on and say this Irish fighter had the best 2021? Who do you think that is? It's an interesting one because like the last couple of years, we've uh, we do the Irish MMA awards and. You know, no one has really stood out that much. I think I think this year Blaine O'Driscoll had a great year in Bellator. Two first round finishes, one by submission, one by knockout, and kind of came out came from the clouds to kind of win that. You know, McGregor had one fight, James Gallagher had one fight, and Norman Park I think had one fight and lost it. And he was he won it the year before, I believe. So someone like that could emerge again. You know, a Danny Nylon or a Liam McCourt or a Sinead Cavanaugh who could be fighting Cyborg in her next fight. And she's a dangerous fighter uh, as well for Cyborg because she's a really good boxer. Now, obviously, Cyborg has other advantages and we're a big favorite going into that fight as well. But um, I think it's a big year. You know, we mentioned James Gallagher, but it's a big year for him. I think it's a huge year for him. Big year for Reese McKee as well. He just got cut from the UFC. And can he get, maybe not get back there in the next year, but can he get back to maybe a Cage Warriors, win a few fights, uh, maybe get that championship that he was that he never got the opportunity to get because he signed for the UFC. Dean Barry as well has just signed for the UFC. So himself and Conor McGregor are the only two uh, fighters in the UFC at the moment. So, you know, there's, there's a litany of people, obviously, in Gary as well. Paul Hughes just lost in Cage Warriors. A lot of people are calling him the biggest prospect in Irish MMA before he lost. But a very close fight against Vucinic, who is fighting now for the, the Cage Warriors featherweight title as well. So he... You could see, you could absolutely see Paul Hughes fighting for the Cage Warriors featherweight title, maybe win one more fight and then be fighting for it as well. So, John Mitchell, I think, is another name. He's a guy from down in Cork and he trains, uh, he trains down in Cork as well. And I think he'd been out in, I think, Thailand, if I'm not mistaken, um, training for the last while, or he was before Christmas anyway. This guy, I think he might be only one and or two and all, but really, really good. Reminds me a little bit of TJ Dillashaw. Very, very, very good fighter. So, um, you know, there's there's lots of people consuming Kiefer Crosby as well. Can he bounce back? Paul Redmond, will we see him back in the cage? Um, you know, there's there's lots of people around. But yeah, the ones I would definitely be looking at, Ian Gary, James Gallagher would probably be the two names, and obviously Conor McGregor as well. But everyone I mentioned there, it's definitely uh, definitely worth keeping an eye on them. And probably I probably forgot like some really obvious ones now and they'll kill me as well. Joe McCulgan as well, he he voted me if I didn't mention him. But uh, yeah, there's there's lots of uh, lots of guys coming through. Well, Sean, uh, really appreciate it. I did promise you you would get at least ninety seconds to talk mm-hmm. about Manchester United. So. I got to ask you, when is Manchester United going to do the thing that all big clubs are doing now and buy an American player? That's what you need next. Yeah, I don't know. who. Do, who is there anyone any good from Pulisic? Maybe we could sign him from Chelsea, but uh, yeah. McKinney <laughs> just signed for Juventus. He's been oh, really? starting over in Serie A. Oh. Um, Tyler Adams, defensive mid over at Leipzig, if you like, if you need a... Uh, some help in the defense. I, I have to admit, I haven't been watching too much, too much United um, since they've been playing well because that's very frustrating to me. We used we used to have one American player. What was his name? Um, he used to play center back with the big. Oh God, he had a big, big fucking mop of hair in him. Oh, um, what's his name? Do you remember Lex, that? Was it Alexi Wallace? No, he never no. played at United. United American. Let me Google it. I know this Tim is, Howard this... and Casey Keller. Oh yeah, Tim, Ho- Tim Howard. Yeah, Tim Howard played for Man United. Um, oh god, oh, Jonathan Spector. Yeah, he used to play for Man United. Yeah, but he he was not well. He was not great, but he moved on pretty quickly. But yeah, Tim Howard played for a good couple of years. So the goalkeepers, the American goal. Who's an American goalkeeper now? They usually have a couple. Brad Guzan, I think, was a good goalie. Zach uh, Steffen is our starter. He's the City backup. Oh, oh really? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I actually saw him playing for City, and he was good a couple of weeks ago. So. Uh, yeah, we're, we 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 look. Man United need 
a litany of players. We need a right winger. So maybe Pulisic. We'll buy him from Chelsea. Maybe the new manager now. Can't have him. You can't have him. No, why not? He's, he, he'd do as well. Um, yeah, we need, uh, we need a uh, centre-back. We need two midfielders. We have a new goalie, but... We we just don't want to blame, but yeah, it's uh, it's weird because Man United lost last night for the first time in like two months, and I'm just unbelievably negative about it. <laughs> Even though like if you got me on like on Monday, I'd be like, oh yeah, we're gonna win the league, we're the best team in the world. So that tends to happen in uh, in sport. But I I think with Man United, the weird thing was they've been kind of they've been getting good results, but not playing that well. You know, Rashford and and Martial have been atrocious for months now. Not scoring, not doing it. And we've still just been nicking it like 2-1 or 1-0, barely winning games. And it's kind of made us look a lot better than we are. But like last night was the real Man United, I think, losing 2-1 to fucking Sheffield United. It was it was uh, pretty pretty dire, but there's going to be more of them, I have a feeling, for the rest of the season. But anyway, it's, Bruno Fernandes is great anyway. South Dakota is on Bruno Fernandes. He's, uh, he's, the, he's the best player in the world at the moment, I think, by a mile. So it's, uh, it's great to have him. And at least he's bringing some joy to our lives anyway. Yeah, I think, well, Parker and I are both Chelsea fans. Parker certainly more casual than I am. And, more casual. Um, Tooch loud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I've been kind of working through the emotions of firing Frank Lampard that I know was the right decision, but Absolutely. in my heart, it's still Frank Lampard, right? So um, he, He's a terrible manager. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> he had absolutely no business getting that job. Like he, he took over a derby team and he had a good bit of money spent and he had a good squad and he didn't even get him promoted. I'm like, he got the Chelsea job based off of that, and then they gave him like full year. Then he saw what he spent like 220 million on players like Timo Werner, one of the look a good striker, but he's off form a little bit. But Havertz. Uh, like I, I was really mad that they signed Havertz and Man United didn't. I think he's one of the best young players in the world, and he's just been like playing him, throwing him out in the wing, playing him out of position, and uh, like bizarre to play these young rubbish English players. Like it's, it's a bizarre thing. I think Tuchel could do a good job with him for the next eighteen months until Abramovich gets mad and sacks him again. So, <laughs> you know how it works. You know how it works. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that we've uh, alienated our entire MMA listener base with uh, some Premier League talk, Sean, any shout outs, any, where can people find you and where can people find your work? Uh, well, Severe MMA, I suppose, uh, the Severe MMA podcast is out every Sunday for free for everyone. It's usually around an hour or an hour and 10 minutes or so. Uh, so you can get that on SevereMMA.com or on your uh, podcast feed. And we have a Patreon then. We usually have three to four podcasts every week on Patreon. Cost $5. So, you know, a cup of coffee uh, once a month. Last month, I think we had something like 20 po- 25 posts or something like that with Dan Hardy, Ari Luani, Luke Thomas, Robbie Fox, Philip O'Connor, loads of different people on it. So we have, you know, if you're, you know, we talked about Irish MMA there, Ian Gary, James Gallagher. If, that, if that's what, you know, if you want to become a kind of a fan of that or keeping track with, with those guys, there's no other place to do it, really. There isn't really another Irish MMA website governance. So uh, to help us keep the lights on, you could sign up there. But uh, yeah, and on Twitter as well, at John Sheehan. Shout out to a couple, you know, the at Severe MMA as well. Or by Ian O'Neill over in Canada does an absolutely great job. Uh, Andy Stevenson, Patrick Sheen, my, my brother, great photographer uh, as well. And uh, 
uh, Podrick Foran as well, great videographer. And I suppose I better give a shout out to, to Graham and Harry Williams and Sean and Steve as well over in the UK. We have a great team uh, of people around the place, and uh, you know it's 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 tough at times, you know, because there is a there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of stuff to cover. And uh, okay, maybe there, there's a lot of events to go to in the last year or so, but there has been a lot for the last few years, and uh, it's been uh, it's been an interesting time and kind of a fun way to do. It. And uh, it's great to have a good team uh, behind you and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good people doing it as well so shout out to the severe macro yeah for sure and you know as as parker and i can both attest you're a great follow on twitter you're a an absolute fixture on the uh the ufc broadcast these days in the u.s uh i see your tweet up there almost every event so um you know definitely uh definitely everyone give sean a follow and uh sean until next time um you know obviously great to talk to you and you know hope we can get you on again soon Thanks, lads. Thanks for having me up the blues. Texas Trees is the premier tree care company in the DFW area. Whether you need basic maintenance or specialized services, when it comes to trees, we've got you covered. Pruning, chipping, bracing, and cabling, even root barriers and disease control, we do it all. And if you aren't sure what you need, we have certified arborists on staff to point you in the right direction. Visit us at NorthTexasTrees.net. That's NorthTexasTrees.net.